Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Brian Candelo. Good morning, church. Good to see you here this morning. So glad that you are here. My name is Brian. I am one of the pastors on staff. For those of you watching online, glad you could join us this way. I'm excited about this morning. I love hearing those stories that teams are going out again. Teams are coming here. It's a beautiful thing. You know, when you're at a restaurant and you're looking at the menu and you see the perfect picture of what you want for your meal. And you get excited about this and your expectations are up here and you're so excited until the plate gets placed before you and then you realize that there might just be a gap between expectations and reality. For instance, you see this picture, which looks amazing and I hope I just changed some of your lunch plans. But when it gets delivered to you, the reality is this. Nothing like this. The, the gap that exists between expectations and reality, and it doesn't just happen on the menu, it happens in all different ways in life. When they say it's going to snow in Salem, <laughs> right? Snowmageddon's coming, and the expectation is this. This is what we always think no matter what. But the reality is this. <laughs> it's just going to rain. Christmas time, we build up our expectations. We get them way up here and we think, this is the year. This is the year that I'm going to get this gift. <laughs> May it be. And then without fail every year, the reality is we're getting socks and slippers again. Many of us had to transition to working from home in the past several years. And I think heading into it, we had high expectations. We had this thought of, oh, it's going to be peaceful. I'm going to get stuff done. It's going to be a great way to work. But the reality looked a little bit more like this. There were distractions at home. And it can even be sometimes in how we perceive ourselves. So when I run, the expectation of what I look like is this. That's what I feel like, oh man, people see me running, this is what they see. When the reality is probably closer to this. <laughs> it's probably not a pretty thing. Expectations and reality. We have an expectation for our whole lives. We just think the arrow of our lives is just going to go up and to the right, up and to the right, when the reality of our lives probably looks a lot more like that. Right? The disparity between our expectations and reality is not so consequential when it comes to burgers, when it comes to snow days. Those are things that we can get over fairly quickly. But it can be troubling when it comes to foundational matters of the faith. Because we have expectations, right? We have expectations of what our lives should look like with Jesus. And sometimes those expectations are purely based on culture. But oftentimes those expectations are based on scripture, or at least our interpretation of scripture. And so our expectations of life with Jesus are expectations of provision and protection and validation and victory. 
And expectations, they're powerful and they're formative and they influence belief and behavior. But the difficulty with expectations, in particular spiritual expectations, is what we do with them. Because we tend to build a foundation solely upon our expectations. We make big life choices and decisions based solely upon expectations. And when the expectations are met with a reality that doesn't quite get there, we're left disappointed and delusioned and dis disillusioned or delusioned, either way. <laughs> we question the wisdom and the work of God. And so I want to talk about that idea this morning. I want to talk about this idea. Here's our big idea for today. Sometimes God misses the mark. <laughs> it's the awkward silence. When, is he really saying that? Is he allowed to say that? If you're taking notes, uh, don't write that down. <laughs> don't, don't go away from here quoting me. You know what the pastor said this morning? And I don't think probably on a deep foundational level we'd be like, oh, that, that just seems wrong. And yet... Sometimes we believe that, don't we? Sometimes we lean into that. Because embedded within our expectations are a couple different ideas. One is, is hey, God, I'm working for you, so it's time you work for me. And let's kind of raise that reality up to these expectations. Or, God, I have some pretty big plans for you. And I need you to come through with these. And so what we end up doing is we impose our wants upon God rather than surrender to his will. We impose our wants upon God rather than surrendering to his will. And God's will is always greater than our wants. Always greater than our expectations. And so we want to talk truly about this idea this morning. How do we alter our expectations to align with God's reality. If you're taking this notes this morning, if you still have the travel journal that we've been tracking with, that would be a great question to write down in there. How do we alter our expectations to align with God's reality? Because God's perspective is limitless, whereas ours is limited. Our expectations are limited, and God's reality is limitless. And that's what we want to see in scripture this morning. We're continuing our series called The Road. It's the road to the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. And you can see the signpost over here and the stops that we've made along the way. We began on Mount Hermon with the transfiguration. And then we had a stop in Jericho so that a blind man could get healed. And last week, we stopped in Bethany for the raising of Lazarus. And this week, we begin in the towns of Bethphage and Bethany, and then we get to the Mount of Olives, and we travel down the Mount of Olives, across the Kidron Valley, and up the hill to Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. And here's a picture of where Jerusalem and Bethany is on the map and the Mount of Olives. Here's a picture also of what Jerusalem looks like from the top of the Mount of Olives. Here's the view from the Mount of Olives in that picture right there, kind of looking out. And Jerusalem... It has been the destination for quite some time. Jerusalem is where Jesus was heading. And we know that because in Luke 9.51, it says, as the time drew near, there it is, as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. 
Jesus was heading to Jerusalem. And when it says he resolutely set out, literally it means he set his face like stone or he set his jaw like flint towards Jerusalem. Jesus was headed there purposefully and there were all kinds of expectations riding along with him as they were heading towards Jerusalem. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. You can turn there and go there with your app. You see, Jesus was going to triumphantly enter and with that carried the expectations of the disciples that this something big was going to happen. Even though Jesus all along had been talking a different story, the disciples' expectations were looming large over the situation. They were like, this is it. This is when the kingdom comes. This is when the earthly kingdom gets established. This is where we get validation and victory. And so they're thinking things like, this is where we get proved right. This is where our side wins. This is how everything that we've been working for is going to come to fruition. This is how it's going to happen. But they miss the mark. And oftentimes, we do as well. So let's read this story. Luke 19, let's start in verse 29. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of the followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. The disciples, those who were following and worshiping, were coming in with these expectations that were going to get met with a different reality. And I want to take a look at a couple of those here this morning. You see, the first expectation that they had was a display of power. The disciples expected a display of power, that Jesus would use power at this moment to establish his kingdom. It had all been building to this moment. In Luke chapter 1, the, the passage that we read every Christmas, Mary receives a promise, a prophecy about the Messiah, about Jesus. And it, it was this, he will be great, the son of the most high, and the Lord will give him the throne of David. Now, where's the throne of David? Well. It's in the capital city. It's in the royal city. It's in Jerusalem. It's right where they were. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus tells the disciples, we're going to Jerusalem. And James and John are so excited about this. And they start talking about Jesus sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. And then this is where they ask Jesus for the VIP seating. If you're familiar with that story, they're like, Jesus, it would be really great if, you know, you were on the throne and then one of us was on the right, one of us was on the left, and that's probably where we belong. Super excited about Jesus using his power to make this happen. 
Because Jesus had already displayed incredible power, unlimited power over the weather, over demonic forces, over sickness, over disease. And so going in, just guns blazing with power to defeat Rome would just be one more display of his omnipotence. And even those who might not have had a deep faith in who Jesus was at least came into this situation thinking, oh, he's going to blast him with his power. He's going to be an earthly conqueror. And so the expectation was power, but the reality was humility. Jesus came in humility. Jesus chose to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. As Matthew tells this, he says it's to fulfill the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Jesus is coming humbly. The steed of a king is not a donkey. The steed of a king is a war horse. Servants, they ride donkeys. Kings don't ride donkeys. This is where Jesus needs a PR guy. He needs an image consultant, if you will, right? Because you have to be humble to ride a donkey. If a general rides in to battle on a donkey, he's lower and slower and an easy target. I mean, picture, picture the scene in Lord of the Rings when the last big battle's happening and all the guys are on horseback on this hillside and they're ready to ride down the hill into battle and the king in the middle of them on a donkey. He's riding like roadkill into this battle, humbly. And, and the whole scene is humble. You have a carpenter's son riding on a borrowed donkey with former fishermen laying down their coats and people shouting and waving branches. And the king doesn't even have a sword. It's a very humble scene. Jesus chose humility. And yet, quite honestly, if we look at our own lives, there's something in us that still wants to power up. Our expectation is, this is how we establish things. This is how we get victory. We power up. We power up in a lot of scenarios. If someone cuts us off or cuts in line, if someone injures somebody that we love in the boardroom, or if we're giving some type of business presentation, or if we're with people that might be slightly more talented than us, or if we get embarrassed by someone else, or if we have differing opinions, we power up. We power up. That's the expectation. That's how we're going to get it done. And yet, that doesn't always lead to good places. I learned to wakeboard in Oregon. We have some great families with boats that would take leaders and students out and patiently spin in a very tight circle for four or five hours, picking kids out of the water. And I remember one time in particular as we were wakeboarding, the boat driver said, here's the thing, girls typically get this faster than guys for two reasons. One is girls listen. <laughs> Feel free to write that down in your notes. And the second is this, is that guys try and power up. And I watched this happen. I watched my daughter get in the water and just pop right up, and away she went. And my experience was just a little different. When I got in the water, I was like, I can do this thing. 
I've seen all these other people do it. I'm going to get this. And I powered up, and I pulled up on the rope, and then the rope went slack as the boat went flying, and I fell on my face. <laughs> and I got back, and I pulled up on the rope again and fell on my face. My expectation was that I'd be jumping the wake very calmly. And the reality was, every time I powered up, I fell on my face. Every time we power up, we tend to fall on our faces. You see, the expectation was power, but the reality was Jesus came in humility. The second thing we see is this expectation of position. Not just power, but position. So much of this story points to the royalty of Jesus. We have the unridden donkey. Jesus walked everywhere. Why all of a sudden is he riding a donkey? Well, he's riding a donkey that hasn't been ridden because unridden animals were reserved for special purposes. We see it's a fulfillment of Zechariah 9, like we read. It's also a nod to Genesis chapter 49. It's this prophecy about the once and for all future king who has the cult of a donkey. And so all of this is pointing to the royalty of Jesus. We have people laying down their garments, which is exactly what you would do for a king. And we see this in the Old Testament as well, 2 Kings chapter 9, laying down garments for the king. But you also see this moment of worship. This explosion of praise that comes out for the words and work of Jesus for everything that he's done. It's this kind of retroactive affirmation for Jesus. In John chapter 12, as he's telling the story, he says, there's people in this crowd who were from Bethany who watched Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And so they came along worshiping for everything that Jesus had done, but also for everything that Jesus was going to do. He was going to be royalty. He was coming to Jerusalem to get the throne. And even it came out in their song of praise. In verse 38, that song of praise, which is really from Psalm 118. It's just this, it was kind of a ritual welcoming of pilgrims as they came to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. It would just be something that would be said over and over. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the one who comes. But as they are singing this, they're singing, blessed is the king. Blessings on the king who comes. Jesus is not just another pilgrim. He's the king. And there are historical references to conquering heroes entering Jerusalem with much pomp and circumstance who are establishing their rule and their reign. And they head to the temple and they begin to worship because they're going to make everything right. And so people would have seen this. And they see Jesus coming in. But Jesus was not riding into Jerusalem to be enthroned. So even though the story points to the royalty of Jesus, and even though that there's something that's going to happen in relationship to that identity, there is a disparity between what the expectations were and the reality. The expectation was position, but the reality was surrender. Jesus was choosing this moment to surrender. Now, here's the thing. He doesn't just slip into Jerusalem. In many ways, he's forcing the issue. Jesus is poking the bear, if you will. He's creating a scenario in which he can surrender. He's intentionally bringing about the conclusion to this story. He's very much in charge. He's orchestrating everything. Nothing's by accident. But he's not flying under the radar anymore like he often did. He's out there. He's front and center. He's letting the messianic title stand. 
He's allowing people to worship him. And he's going to the temple, which he's calling my house. And then he rearranges the furniture like only a homeowner can do. And I kind of get this picture. And it's not a biblical picture. But in my mind, this scene is a little bit like this Wild West town is what I have in my head. And you can picture it in your head, right? With the old wood buildings and then that center dirt street. And it's high noon. And there's an obligatory tumbleweed that blows across. And a little soundtrack that sounds like And Jesus steps off the boardwalk into the center of the street. A little Jesus, a little bit Clint Eastwood. And this is the picture I have in my mind, till all eyes are on him. But that's, I think, the expectation of the disciples. Like, Jesus is going to just step into the middle of the street, and he's going to gun down Rome, and he's going to take his throne. But Jesus doesn't step in guns a-blazing. He used this moment to surrender. He used this moment to surrender his life. He offered nobility in the form of a servant. Once again, there's this gulf that just separates our normal understanding of how a king and a conqueror enters this town and the way that Jesus did it. And maybe this is what precipitated the dramatic shift between everybody at the beginning of the week saying, Hosanna, and then everybody at the end of the week saying, crucify him. Because Jesus didn't come in meeting their expectations. He didn't do what they thought. They didn't understand surrender. And we are too often consumed with expectations of position and name recognition and titles when we should be taking the path of surrender. The expectation is power. The expectation is position. And also the expectation was now. They wanted this to happen right now. They wanted the kingdom now. We've waited long enough. People had tried to enthrone Jesus earlier than this. In John chapter 6, when he feeds the 5,000, it says they rushed him to make him their king, and he refused. But, but this was the moment. This, this was the moment. This is the holy city. This is the royal city. All the pieces are in place, and we can feel that longing with them, can't we? Like, Jesus, now, now's the time. When I was a kid, I wanted Jesus to wait. I knew Jesus was coming back to establish something. But I was like, if you could hold off, I've got important things to do, like play basketball and eat pizza. And I don't know if you had that similar experience. Like, wait. But the older you get, I think the more you're just like, now's the time, Jesus. Come now. Establish it now. And Jesus was dealing with that same kind of sentiment from the people who were worshiping, from his disciples. As a matter of fact, the story that he told just before his triumphal entry begins with this verse. In, in verse 11, it says, the crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. And because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. You see, Jesus had established the kingdom, and the kingdom was now, but it just wasn't what they thought. Guys, what you're thinking, that's not going to happen right away. What you're looking for isn't going to happen. The expectation was like, Jesus, make it happen now in Jerusalem, and the reality was, was not yet. And that's a hard reality to sit in. Not yet. Verse 38 it's, it's a paraphrase. Their song of praise is a paraphrase of a very familiar Christmas passage in, in Luke 2.14. 
where the angels tell the shepherds, glory to God in the highest heavens and peace on earth. But in verse 38, it says peace in heaven because what is being celebrated in this moment is oriented towards the future. It's oriented towards the not yet. It's oriented even towards heaven. So chapter 2, verse 14 The angels to the shepherds is all about what is being achieved on earth because of the birth of Christ. And in verse 38 of this chapter, it's all about what is being achieved because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, the passage is about establishing the eternal kingdom that is and still is to come. Last week, Ephraim asked this question, a great question. What do we believe is God's purpose in his delay? In the waiting, in the not yet. God, why? What's the purpose? But delay is formative. Delay often brings about results that are better than if we got them immediately. Delay oftentimes equates to deeper intimacy. And delay teaches us that it's not just about a destination in a moment. It's more about a journey. And it's more about being conformed to the character of Christ. And so we wait. You see, all of the expectations were here. They were power. They were position. They were make it happen right now. But the reality was humility and surrender. And not yet. We usually think of things in those terms. Expectations are here. Reality is here. And every once in a while in this life, we see them flipped. I saw pictures of Yosemite National Park. It was beautiful. Then I visited Yosemite National Park. And the pictures do not do it justice. It's absolutely amazing. And I kept saying, oh, a picture will never do this place justice as I took 8 million pictures to show other people. It's just what we do. For my kids, it was going to Cars Land in Disney. If you've ever been there, it's just like being in the movie. And they were just walking around. Like, every detail of this place is so amazing. It's so beyond what my expectations were. Parenting exceeds expectations, both in difficulty and blessing, right? It's just one of those things. But here's the thing. We need to understand that the reality of Jesus always outshines our expectations. The reality of Jesus will always outshine our expectations. It's so far beyond anything that we could ask for or even imagine. And quite honestly, this is the gospel that we see in the triumphal entry. Even though it wasn't their expectations, the reality of what happened is still so much better than what their expectations were. And that's what we need to understand. You see, every servant, every servant wants power and position, and they want it now. Every servant wants to put themselves in the place of a king. But Jesus, in this story, in this triumphal entry, shows us a different kingdom. He shows us a king that puts himself in the place of a servant. He's a king unlike anything that we think about. You see, if Jesus had only come to liberate the nation of Israel from the Romans, then that would have been fine for a while. But eventually, 
Israel would have enslaved another nation or been enslaved by another nation again, and then that would have been done. You see, Jesus knew that establishing an earthly kingdom would do nothing for the deepest needs in our lives. Jesus establishing an earthly kingdom would do nothing for the deepest needs in our lives, the guilt, the anxiety, the emptiness. This deep need we have for a sense of purpose, these things are the real issues. You see, we need to be liberated from death, not Rome. We need to be liberated from death and not Rome. And this is what Jesus was accomplishing. This was the reality that he was putting way up here, way beyond any of our expectations. The gospel saves us through humility and surrender. It's the message of Palm Sunday. We began with this question. How do we alter our expectations to align with God's reality? And the answer isn't to just lower your expectations or have none, right? If I don't have any expectations, then I won't be disappointed. I actually believe we need to have our expectations higher than they are, but they need to be on a better foundation. When we build our expectations on our own kingdom, when we build our beliefs on our own dreams and desires, then that's going to set us up for failure. That's going to open us up to disappointment and disillusionment. But when our beliefs are based on Jesus and the work of Jesus and the things that he's done, when we set our expectations there, then our expectations begin to work into this beautiful thing that scripture calls hope. That's what hope is. Hope in scripture is literally an expectation that is sure. And we know that the kingdom that Jesus is establishing is sure. And we know that Jesus' promises are sure. And so when we begin to build our expectations on those promises, we have hope. We have hope that these things are going to happen, not an uncertain, anxious wish that Jesus is going to somehow try and meet what we've set up for ourselves. We have hope that Jesus is absolutely going to do the things that he has promised for us, and we can set our expectations through the roof because that's going to be reality. That's what hope is. And this is why the triumphal entry sets the table for Easter. Disciples, worshipers, it's not going to look like we think it's going to look like. As a matter of fact, it's going to get pretty dark for a little bit. But the reality is totally going to blow away our expectations. And it's totally going to speak to the deepest needs that we have. I have the opportunity to teach an RTI class, a class at our REACH Training Institute with uh, the brilliant Ashley Dalen. And I love doing that with her. But this past week, as we were beginning the term, we posed this question to our students. Where do I want to be in five years? And I think it's a decent question. It's a good question. But I've really been processing it since. Because I think this question is based on a personal kingdom and not God's kingdom. I think this question is based on expectations. And when we process this question, when we answer this question, we answer it with things like a job, or we answer it with things like stuff, or this is what I want to do, and this is what I want to have, and this is the position that I want to be in, and this is the power that I want to hold, and I want all of this right now. 
And as I processed that, knowing I was preaching this, I was thinking, how can I alter my expectations to align with God's reality? And I think a better question we could have asked, and if you want to write that question down, I would encourage you to write it down and process it. Where do I want to be in five years? And then right below it, write rather, who do I want to be in five years? Because I think that's a better question. I think that speaks more to humility. I think that speaks more to surrender. I think that speaks more to being conformed to the character of Christ. Those are the expectations that I want to live into. I want to be like Jesus, and I want to hope in his kingdom. Amen? Would you pray with me? Jesus, thanks for this triumphal entry. Thank you for blowing away our expectations with your reality. And I pray that you would give us new eyes to see it, that you would give us eyes to see when we're trying to build our own kingdom, when we're trying to grasp power and position and now. Allow us to move into humility and surrender in the not yet. Inform us in the waiting, Jesus. We love you in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.